Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. Speaking of Clyde, I just wanted to share a little bit about why I'm excited about what God's doing with our middle and high school students here. If you didn't know, the student ministry is called Collide, and God has been doing some really cool stuff lately um, in this ministry uh, over the past couple months, over this past summer. In fact, just this past Wednesday night, we had our largest attendance ever on a Wednesday night, and we had five students tell their small group leaders that they wanted to get baptized. The cool thing is that we didn't talk about baptism in the teaching, and we didn't give baptism as a step, or we didn't have them fill out a card that says, I want to get baptized. They just like, hey... I think I need to do this. I think I need to get baptized. And so um, they talked to their small group leaders, and, and we're going to get them dunked here on a, on a Sunday morning or even on a Wednesday night uh, as soon as we can. Uh, but God is, God is moving. And let me tell you what he's going to do and what, I, what I've been praying for him to do in this ministry. And it's called, uh, we have an event called CKO coming up. It stands for Collide Kickoff. And maybe you've heard some rumblings or some whispers about this. And uh, we, we keep it on the DL. We're very secreted about this. Even the students don't know to the fullest extent what this event is. Uh, but what I can compare it to, to give some, uh, some light, to shine some light on, is I'm a, I'm a big Apple guy. Apple products, okay? Not the food Apple, okay? And uh, I'm talking, you know, iPhone, iPad, MacBook Pro, iMac. I, I, I will sell plasma to be able to purchase Apple products, okay? Because it's a little more expensive. But uh, the thing I love about Apple is that each year they have a keynote address. Maybe you've heard about this. The next one is coming up on September the 10th in case you didn't know. And at these keynote addresses, they reveal the future of Apple. And they say, okay, here's the the latest, newest, greatest iPhone, or here's the new iPad, it's smaller. And they just do all these awesome things, which I have have an iPad, it's pretty nice. But uh, so they, they say, hey, here's the new product. Here's the future. They, at these keynote addresses, they raise the bar of excellence. They raise the bar of the standard of whatever they're creating. That's what CKO is for Collide. We're going to raise the bar that night. We're going to, to say, here's what the future holds for us. Here, here's the next big thing for Collide. Uh, and so you'll hear over the next couple of weeks more details about this. What you need to know is that that's on the 18th of September, and it's for middle and high school students. And so if you know of any or you see one on the side of the road, tell them to get here on the 18th, here at 6.30 p.m., okay? Uh, like I said, that had nothing to do. So let's get started. We, uh, we're today concluding a series called Holy Spirit. And uh, so I think it would fit for me to just go ahead and pray and ask God to uh, teach us all today. So let me, let me pray. Father, thanks so much for this morning, for giving us life and breath, for getting us up this morning, um, for, for taking care of all the details and the specifics of allowing us to come together and to gather together to be your church. So as we look specifically at your word, uh, may your spirit speak to us. May uh, you teach us. Uh, May it be very clear um, how we need to respond to you in obedience. And uh, may you give us the boldness to do so. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So let's start off with with a verse. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Okay. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 a lot. Maybe go back to Acts chapter 1. Here it is. 
and the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but when I read that, no matter how many times I've read it, which has been a lot over these past couple weeks, that gets me pumped up. That gets me excited. That's enough to actually get me out of the bed in the morning, which is a difficult feat most mornings. Okay, That verse alone, that sentence. And see, I'm a practical guy, very logical, to a fault sometimes. You know, when my wife brings to me her emotions, I sit there and say, well, if you just think through it logically, you know, blah, 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 you'll get over it, you know? And then she drop kicks me and, and I ask for forgiveness. Uh, but no, you know, she just wants me to listen to her emotions. And, and so I just, I listen and then stop being so logical. That's free premarital marriage advice right there, okay? Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm logical. And so when I read this verse, when I, when I see that God is moving in such a way that people were being added to their number daily, those that were being saved, I immediately ask, how did that happen? Why did that happen? What's the formula, the, uh, the secret to, to do that? Like, how can we replicate that? How can we uh, just copy that? Can, I just, can you tell me the one, two, three step to get there? That's, that's, my, that's what my logical brain does. I want that. Tell me how to do that. How can we replicate that? And, uh, and so what we're going to see is we need to just go back a chapter. And we're going to look at how that happened. And we're in the series called The Holy Spirit. So if you could guess, it probably has something to do with that. Uh, but we're going to look a little more detail with what that is. So, here we go. We're going to jump back a chapter to Acts chapter 1. After he said this. So I, I promise I won't stop after every four words, but I, this, is, this is important. Who is he and what is this? Who is he and what is this? He is Jesus. And at this moment, this is this. Uh, he's, he's gathering his, his followers uh, people that have devoted their lives to following him and his teaching and the way. And he's saying some kind of last parting words, a, a last farewell to these believers. See, at this point in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already kind of lived out his, his lifely ministry on earth. He's already been crucified on a cross. He's already been in the tomb three days and, and risen from the dead. And so he reappears on multiple occasions to different groups of people. And at this point, this is kind of his last farewell to some of his followers. And so he's giving them some instructions. And, and at, like the disciples and the other believers, they're still kind of confused with what Jesus came to do. They still don't understand it. They're still thinking in terms of um, like Jesus coming as a political figure to overthrow the government. And they still see him as this, 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 this man, this, this king that's going to come with the iron fist and just crush the, the, the opposing governments that have been persecuting them for so long to raise Israel up to its rightful standard. And so they don't get it. And so Jesus uh, kind of says, oh, hey, oh, I, I know you don't get this, this right yet and you don't understand this, but let me just tell you something. Before I leave, I'm going to leave you. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to be gone and I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. 
And this spirit is going to enable you and allow you to be my witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. And that's what he says. And then he leaves. He leaves. Acts chapter 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Now if you read this, you should smile a little bit. This is a comical scene, if you can picture. They're standing there. They're listening intently to what he's saying because it's, it's new and, and they're, they're, all this, this stuff, is, his death and resurrection all happened. So they're listening and all of a sudden he leaves and he kind of goes up to heaven. And it says they look there intently into the sky. And here's what I can imagine. I can imagine they're like a, uh, you know, like a kid who just got a helium balloon and then it's not tied down. You know what happens the first thing a kid with a helium balloon does when he goes outside or she goes outside, lets it go. And they just kind of stand there like helpless. And hopeless, saying like, "How do I get that?" They can't. There's nothing you can do, and it just kind of goes and floats up. And I, I kind of picture the disciples, the followers of Jesus, in this moment doing that, just standing there with their jaws dropped, saying like, "What the crap do we do now?" Like he's gone. He just went. Did you see that? He just went up in the air, and and they're just standing there like a kid who just lost their helium balloon, helpless and hopeless. Nothing they could do because here's the thing: like this man who claimed to be the Son of God who predicted his death and his resurrection, who did miraculous things, great things, was gone. This man, that they had given up everything, like their livelihood, how they earned a living, they gave up their friends and their family to follow him, he was gone. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a step forward. Remember that verse we started off with. That's gonna happen in only a couple verses. But yet, it doesn't sound like we got any closer to that. In fact, if I was reading this for the first time, it would seem like we just took a step backwards. We didn't get any closer to, you know, God moving and adding to the numbers daily. It seems like we took an actual step backwards. But if we keep reading, we'll see that at this time, there was this festival going on. It's called the Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost. And if, if you've never had Bible classes or whatnot. It, the details on this are not important for this morning. What you need to know is that it was a festival that uh, Jews would gather in Jerusalem to, to celebrate, to party. And not just Jews that grew up in Jerusalem, but Jews converts from all over the known world. Like if you were a Jewish convert, no matter what your language, no matter what your tribe, you would gather in Jerusalem on this day to celebrate Pentecost. And so you can imagine the hustle and bustle of that town, right? I mean, you have the, the locals, the, the normal locals that are usually there, and all of a sudden, this herd of people, kind of like August, you know what I'm saying, right? right? Like, we have, in the summer, you have all the, the, the Lynchburg locals who grow up here and work here, and all of a sudden, in August, you have these students who come in to the four different colleges in the area with all of their parents, and it's like, boom, I mean, the, the rows are buzzing, you go into a restaurant, and it's louder than normal. I mean, there's just some excitement and some energy. That's what's happening in Jerusalem right now. They're in chapter 1. And then we read that there's this group of believers. It's kind of the remnant of believers. The same ones that had just talked to Jesus and who were looking as he went up into the sky. 
And it says there's about 120 of them. And they're kind of gathered in this room together in the midst of all this hustle and bustle of the Pentecost. And here's what happened. Acts chapter two. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind, violent wind, okay? Wind, keep that in your mind. Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Okay, fire, keep that in your mind. That separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Tongues, yeah, we're, we're going there, okay? As the Spirit enabled them. As the Spirit. Now, uh, right now, the Spirit is, is moving. The Spirit's doing something with that 120 people. And it's kind of uh, crazy and exciting in that room, you can imagine, but it's a little foreign to us at least. Like, that's why Luke here is using description or descriptive words to help us understand what's happening here. And you do this, right? When you have a friend, you're trying to uh, describe something or explain something, you'll be like, well, see, it's kind of like this, or it, it's similar to this thing. And, and you, you, you draw parallels and descriptions to help clarify and bring light to it. And that's what Luke, the author of Acts, is doing here for us. When the Spirit moves in that room with those believers, he compares it to a wind and to fire. They say, yeah, yeah, it was like wind. It was like fire. Um, speaking of, of violent wind, I know very much about that, okay? Not, some of you thought, anyways, all right. Um, violent wind, I grew up on the southern tip of the Outer Banks called Emerald Isle. Emerald Isle, beautiful place. I grew up there. Some of you took vacations there in the summer. I grew up there. And it was gorgeous. But we went through countless hurricanes. I'm talking countless. It was a, it was a normalcy to, to go through a hurricane. And we would, we would typically stay. In our right minds, we would typically stay through the hurricanes. And we would, uh, you know, board up the windows with that plywood. And we would put funny uh, sayings on the plywood, kind of talking smack to the hurricane. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, whatever the name was, we would, you know, Dennis the Menace. We, we were one of those people that did all those kind of, those fun things. And, and so, I can remember this one hurricane. It was either Bertha or friend. It was a horrible hurricane. I mean, did a lot of destruction. And I would uh, kind of peer out of the house because I wasn't allowed to go out of the house, and I saw some neighborhood kids, the gang, and what they were doing was this. They took a skateboard, okay, a normal skateboard with wheels, and they drilled out a hole in the skateboard. They took a PVC pipe, and they kind of attached the pipe to the skateboard, you know, duct tape and all kinds of stuff. You see where this is going? And then they took a sheet, like a, a bed sheet, and then they, they put it to the pipe like a cell, and uh, so they would stand back and you look at this contraption and you're like, wow, that's really cool. They made like a cell bolt that's on land. And, but yet, when they got done with it, it looked cool, but it didn't do anything. You know, if they just stood back, it didn't do anything until the hurricane came. And I don't know where their parents were at this moment. Obviously, my parents were in the house with me because I couldn't go out there. But literally, the wind started picking up and, and it... And it breathed life into this skateboard so much so that they could actually stand on it and ride it up and down the streets, back and forth, just going with the wind, holding on for dear life. And, and, and so that's what 
That's what the Spirit does. That's why Luke said, hey, it's like the wind. It gives us life and breath and movement. It takes something that was lifeless and dead, and it propels it. It, it kind of prompts it to motion, to action. Uh, like the wind, the Holy Spirit, we can't necessarily see it, but we can sure see the effects of it, right? Like you can't really see the wind, but man, when the wind starts blowing, you can see the effects. So Luke says, okay, it's like the wind. And then he says, it's like fire, fire. One of my most vivid and clear memories as a child was around Christmas time. We would uh, hang out with this guy. His name was Marvin. He was a great uh, family friend. And Marvin had this huge living room, ginormous. And one of the prominent fixtures in that living room was a fireplace. I love fire, controlled fire. And um, this fireplace wasn't just kind of sit, it didn't just sit back in the wall and, and you could walk by. Like, no, this was a prominent fixture. Just gorgeous fireplace. And so as the sun went down, as we got closer to Christmas and started playing some music, um, we would start the fire. And I can remember distinctly, like, listening to the crackling of the wood. You know what I'm saying? Oh, what a sound. And I can remember uh, smelling the aroma, the smoke, as it filled the room, which I don't think was healthy, didn't have the great, like, airflow, but man, it, it smelled so good as it filled the room. And I can remember even being like mesmerized or even hypnotized by the flames. As a kid, you know, as a kid, I'm like picturing different figures and pictures in the flames and just being mesmerized. And I'll tell you what, in that moment, we could have shut off the heat. We could have turned off the lights and we would have been fine. Why? Because the fire provided us with two things. Provided us with warmth. Provided us with light. And so Luke says... The spirit moved and it was like fire, meaning that it filled us with warmth or comfort. It, it, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And it provided light or illumination, meaning it made something that was once fuzzy clear. It shed light and brought clarity. Have you ever uh, you know, read scripture, the Bible, and you read a verse and you're like, oh, yes, I get it. Finally, that's the Holy Spirit. He brings clarity and illumination to God's word and to our lives. So he says, okay, Holy Spirit is like wind and it's like fire. Now, the Holy Spirit came. Scripture says it filled the believers in that moment to do something, to accomplish something, to propel them to action, to motion. And, and we just read that they started to speak in tongues. Okay, speak in tongues. And here's, here's what I know. In this moment, what that meant for them is that they were speaking the languages, known languages of the different people in that place. You know, those people that gathered in Jerusalem, all the Jewish converts that were gathering from all different uh, regions and, and tongues and tribes. In that moment, the Spirit gave the believers the ability to speak any language that was there. And so you can imagine in your mind, if you place yourself there, man, there's like this cloud of, of noise and people are talking, yet through it all, there's like this voice that you're able to, to understand. You're able to hear clearly, even though that person is not where you're from, even though you're a stranger, even though you're new to this place. And so the Jews there, they respond with, what does this mean? 
double rainbow? What does it mean? Uh, if you didn't get that, we're going to pray for you real quick. Okay? Most of you got it. I could tell. So, but no, they say, they say, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, how can I... They started, they started looking at these, these believers, these Galileans, knowing that they were from this certain place, but yet they could understand them. And that this person next to them from another place could understand them as well. And they're like, what's going on? We're, uh, this buzz, there's is energy, there's this excitement. And then Peter steps up. Peter, which is typical for Peter. Peter is typically the first one to speak and the first one to act, which... If you're like that, it's not always the best thing, right? Usually how you get in trouble. But in this moment, man, Peter stepped up to the plate. And he kind of raises his voice above everything else, right? Because there's a lot of buzz and noise in the air. And yet Peter raises his voice above everyone else. And talk about a captive audience, right? Talk about a captive audience. In this moment, you're listening, right? You don't know what's going on. How, how can this be? What's going on? Peter speaks up. And he could have said anything. He had a captive audience. He could have, hey, here's my political view. Here's my soapbox. Here's my favorite team. Look at, I mean, he had the opportunity to literally communicate anything he wanted. Yet we just read that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see that he didn't have a choice at this point. There was really only one thing that he could have done in response to being filled and guided by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Speaks up. Raises his voice. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus. That, that was it. In this moment, God's Spirit gave him the ability, empowered him to stand up, to raise his voice above all else and say, fellow Israelites, from all over the known world. Gathering here today, listen to this. Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Okay, so these are religious people. They're familiar, familiar with what happened. It's not new. It's not news to them. He says, you guys know. Keeps going. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, but God, those are my two favorite words. Typically in scripture, when you hear but God, it's, a, it's this, this turning point, this beautiful two words that divide Two very opposite things. Typically before but God, you have death and sin and suffering and depression and agony. And then you have but God, and then typically you have love and grace and peace, salvation, mercy. It's no difference here. It says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter talks through the story of Jesus, kind of walks them through. Something that they at this time already know about. But he's just, I mean, he's putting out, he said, you guys, even though God, it was his plan, he knew about this, you all put him to death. And then the climax of his speech comes in verse 36. And he says this, 
therefore, okay, so he's kind of summering this all up. He, he talks about a lot more stuff in there. I mean, he, he talks about David and, and all this other stuff. And he's, but he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he says, all right, you guys who tried to silence him, who tried to make a mockery and ridicule him, who tried to, to put him to bed, to, to silence this movement that he was, he was doing. Good job, but God has made him Lord and Messiah. He has raised him from the dead. Now here's something you have to realize at this point. Okay? They hear this. And where they're at at this moment is actually the same general area that Jesus was crucified and buried. It was close by. There was some proximity, okay? Right down the road. And what we just read happened two months, only two months after Jesus had been crucified and buried. And so it's still fresh in their memory. So you have both proximity, okay, it was close to where it happened, and you have this, okay, I remember, it's fresh in my mind, it just happened. And so the Jews at this point had every right and every opportunity to speak up and say, whoa, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter. Great speech and all. Like, really good. You got a good way with words, buddy. But uh, we can just go down the road to the tomb. I mean, it's right, right over there. You see it? We'll just ask the guards if we could take a look in, see Jesus' body there, and we'll just put this all to bed. We don't have to worry about this anymore. They could have done that. Unfortunately for them, the body wasn't there. The tomb was actually empty. Even though the government had put guards and, and tried to, to, to hold Jesus basically in the tomb, he was no longer there. And so in that moment, the Jews only had one response to Peter. They only had one response after hearing about Jesus and what he had done. And they said, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter replies right back and says, here's what you do. Repent, baptize, receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, meaning, okay, I know you're religious and all, but you're heading this way, and Jesus wants you to head this way, towards him, with him. Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. So what just happened here? All all that we just read, chapter 1, chapter 2 of Acts. It was opening day of the church. And all, all you sports fans, you know opening day is a big deal. Right? This past week, what was this past week? Opening day for college football, which really started last night at 8 o'clock. Come on. No one? Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm a UNC fan, so uh, my, my year starts in March. Um, but uh, So anyway, so opening day. Sports fans, you know, op- oh man, there's so much anticipation. This Thursday night, opening day for the NFL. All right? Big deal. And so what we just saw... What we just witnessed here in the scripture was opening day of the church. It was the birth of the church. What we experience and and have right now, this gathering, this assembly, started right there. And it was big. It was a grand opening. I mean, if there was a grand opening with with flyers and confetti and loud noise, that was here. Because scripture says that 3,000, 3,000 were added to their number that day. In one day, 3,000 people responded to the message that Peter had just given and had become part of the family of God, had surrendered their lives to Jesus. That 
is a big opening, a grand opening. And how did it happen? What propelled this? What was the guiding force behind this, this birth, this, this opening day of the church, this movement that would continue on and on even today? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered the believers in that room, and specifically Paul, excuse me, Peter, to proclaim Jesus, to stand up and to proclaim Jesus, to tell them what they already knew about Jesus, yet this time they understood, yes, that's who we need to follow. So I think that this leaves us with really two points this morning. Um, two truths that we can take away from Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, like if you've never in your life come to a point where you've surrendered to Jesus, where you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're exempt from everything I'm about to say. Like the, tr- the truth that I'm going to share with you one for believers and one for the church, it's understood that both of those come with this prerequisite of coming to faith in Jesus. And so if you're not, you can listen, but you're exempt. You can leave not feeling the burden of of these two things. Now, we would love for you to trust in that. Just like the Jews, just like the 3,000 people that day trusted in the message that Peter, we would love that because it's a big deal. This guy who predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, and then did it, and then reappeared to all these people, and is now in heaven. Like, that's, that's a big deal. So here's, here's the two points. The first one is for, for individual believers. When a believer is filled and guided by the Holy Spirit, their life will proclaim Jesus. It's a non-negotiable it's not something you can negotiate and, and, and compromise on. When a person, a Christ follower, is filled and guided by God's Spirit, their life will proclaim Jesus. Oh, okay, what part of my life? Yes. Oh, okay. Like this part, this section? or this? Yes. Everything. When you're filled and guided by the Holy Spirit, it will proclaim Jesus. The second one is for the church for the gathering, specifically for this community of believers. When the church is fueled and guided by the Holy Spirit, people will be added to their numbers. Lives will be changed. Broken people will come to the saving knowledge of what Jesus has done. It will happen. When the church is fueled and guided, and when they're just so desperate to continue to ask for God to move, people will be added to them. People will continue to surrender their lives to Jesus. Last week, um, Pastor John talked about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. You know, he talked about the difference of when, when you become a Christian, you get God's Spirit. It's, you're indwelled with His Spirit. It's there. It's never leading or leaving. But then you have this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, where there's like this, this moment, there's this time where you're, you're intently recognizing and guided by God's Spirit, your actions and your, your words. And, and I know that many of you in this room were here, and many of you asked for that, and you prayed for it, and you pleaded for that, you know, with arms raised high, or maybe kneeling down, you're like, God, fill me with your spirit. But I want you to know, when you were praying that, what you were really asking for is that your life would proclaim Jesus. At the end of the day, when you were asking to be filled with God's spirit, you were saying, I want my life, with a capital L, to proclaim Jesus. Bring with church. I, 
It has to be our prayer and our continual pursuit to ask God's spirit to continue to fuel this body, this gathering of people, this assembly. We have to recognize, and this is the theme over the past three weeks, we have to recognize that it's God's spirit that is transforming us, that the true power to transform and change us. It's not necessarily strategy or vision, although those are important. We gotta know where we're going. We gotta know where, where we're heading. But ultimately, the engine, the wind that's propelling it is God's spirit. And, and finally, the beautiful thing is that those two truths, the one for the believer and one for the church, they're not separate. They're not independent things. They go hand in hand. They work together. Meaning when you see a believer and you find a believer who's filled with God's spirit and is guided by God's spirit, you're gonna be led to a church who's fueled by God's spirit and guided by God's spirit where where God is adding to their numbers. And on the flip side, when you find a church that is fueled and guided by God's spirit, you're gonna find believers who are seekingly or increasingly seeking and asking for God's spirit to fill them. And therefore their lives are proclaiming Jesus. They go hand in hand. And that should be our prayer. That should be our desire as a church and for you individually to seek after those two things, to pray for those two things. Let's read that that verse we started off with at the beginning one more time. Because after all that happened, then you get to Acts 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That's my prayer. Pray with me. Father, We uh, put so much time and energy into leading your church as, as humans, as people. I, I am sometimes overwhelmed by the amount of people who give and sacrifice so much time and so much energy and so many resources to, to see that Brentwood Church continues to move forward, that continues to be a beacon of light for people people that are far from God, people that have been hurt, people that are broken. Yet, despite all of that, which is so good, let us not forget that the the propelling wind, the, the guiding force behind it all is your spirit. And if we continue to trudge forward without that, it's nothing. We just conjured up a bunch of emotion and useless actions and so Father we don't want to go any further even this morning without your spirit may we as believers feel so desperate when we wake up in the morning so dependent on you God that we would ask God fill me and guide me today so that my life can proclaim Jesus Jesus. Father, may you continue to fuel and and guide this church so that we can, so that that can be our testimony where you are adding to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Can't, Can't wait to see you do that, God. So Father, this morning, as we ask, as we plead, as we surrender more to you, And may you be honored and glorified. We ask these things in your name.